Greetings and welcome back to Pipettes and Politics. We have been gone for a little while with the holiday break and uh, with some sickness last week, but we are back, back on our usual recording schedule, and it's a good thing nothing has happened uh, since the last time <laughs> we recorded. As usual, um, I am Ben Korb, the Public Affairs Director for ASBNB, and I am joined by uh, Andre Porter. Hey, how you doing? And Daniel Pham. Hey, everyone. We wanted to, uh, I think there is an elephant in the room that we could discuss, which is, of course, the NGRI policy and how everyone, no, that's <laughs> um, Although very important. Yeah, no, um, the government shutdown is obviously something that's really important. Um, we just survived it. In fact, it's the reason why we didn't record yesterday is because we wanted to see what would happen with the vote. Um, we're going to dedicate some chunk of time in the next segment to talk about the government shutdown the impact that this shutdown had on science, the impact that shutdowns have on science, and the likelihood of a February 8th shutdown. Um, but first, before we get to that, we wanted to talk about some other policy issues. So I'm going to go around the table. I'm going to start off over here with Andre. Andre wanted to talk about a couple of things, including the NIH's Next Generation Researcher Initiative. Right. So before we, uh, before we left for break, um, the NIH was convening the Council of Councils, which is their or no, not the Council of Councils, the Advisory Committee to the Director, and they were going to talk about the Next Generation Research Initiative. It's changed again, as could be expected, I guess, by this time. It's no longer, it will no longer be considered a policy. It will no longer be considered ubiquitous across institutes. Um, I'm going to jump in for a second. Remind our listeners what the NGRI, like what the genesis of this particular initiative. So the NGRI started as the GSI was was the grant support index. The idea was that NIH wanted to implement a policy that capped fund. Well, they wanted they wanted to implement a policy that would spread the wealth, so to speak. So provide more funding for new investigators, early career investigators, by pulling some of those funding, uh, some of that funding that was being funneled towards senior, highly supported investigators. So that's kind of a brief background well, about the genesis of what, where it came from. Right, Massive increases in funding at the NIH, as hard as we may try to get, aren't likely to be coming anytime soon. Right. We're in a hyper-competitive environment. Pay lines are rough. Ne uh, young scientists, like early stage investigators, are struggling. Mid-career scientists are really struggling. And the question has become, what do we do to fix this problem so that we don't end up washing out a bunch of scientists who could be helpful? Exactly. And so after the GSI crashed and burned, they created the NGRI, the Next Generation of Researchers, Researchers Initiative. And that initiative was seeking to do the same thing without the hard rubric that the GSI was going to utilize. When they first pitched it, it, was, it came across as a policy that was going to be implemented across the agencies that was... I think they had a couple months, and then it was supposed to be rolled out. The community revolted, so and as a result, they pulled that all the way back. So at the last, at the ACD meeting uh, this past December, NIH decided, hey, this won't be an actual policy. These will just be guidances that we're going to implement, and we're not going to give you any guidance right now. We're going to take six months to draft some new guidance. And what that looks like is in my opinion, going to be vastly different from what it was before. There's no longer a focus on new investigators specifically. It's now any investigator at risk of fund losing funding. Um, there is, and I think rightfully so, more emphasis on investigators who are in between their first renewal. That makes sense because these are still new investigators. But there is a complete 
in my opinion, backtrack on the the spirit of what the GSI was trying to implement. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the draft recommendations will be in June, but I think that it's kind of lost some of its teeth as yeah, a policy yeah. piece. Yeah. I, I think the biggest part is that there's no recommendations for where the funding is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, like the GSI had clear idea of taking that money from um, people who were funded a lot, but now these year NGRI policy recommendations like will be taken from some mysterious pot of gold. Right, right. And so you know, I think the what we're finding is uh, a few things. The first is is that there is some interest at the NIH to to make a change. Um, part of that is driven by congressional mandate in the 21st Century Cures Act that mm-hmm. requires some action. Part of it is reading the writing on the wall and recognizing what's happening. Um, where we're discovering the problems are is it's how do you pay for it? What do you do? Um, who is determined to be the needy people and who is determined to not be? And then kind of where are you going to determine where the pain comes from in this right. process? Right. Um, there's a lot of work to do in the space, to be sure. Um, and we're going to... We're watching it. A great resource for people who might be listening who want to read a little bit more about this would be to go to our blog, which is policy.asbnb.org. You can see um, Andre's notes from meetings like the ACD meeting where they discuss this. You can see ASBNB's position on the Grant Support Index, the GSI, the NGRI. Uh, We've been communicating with leadership at NIH our thoughts and questions, and we're going to be rolling out some recommendations for the group as well. So it's an interesting space if you're a young investigator or a mid-stage investigator, um, there's going to be action. We're just not exactly sure what that action is going to be. Right. Uh, Daniel, what, anything you want to bring, not NGRI-related, new things, what, do you, what is there? Sure. So um, so the ASBNB has been putting more focus on the Department of Energy, and one big thing that's been happening is a restructuring of the leadership. Um, so the Department of Energy is now... Uh, dividing the Undersecretary of Energy and Science to have two undersecretaries so that now there's a total of three undersecretaries uh, in that space, one for energy, one for nuclear security, and one for science, in which the Office of Science will now be put under this new uh, space. So critics are worried that this means that the Office of Science will be undercut or the their influence will be lessened. Um, however, others don't seem to be so concerned, so we'll, we'll really see kind of where that goes. I think the, the big concern that I have is once they make this announcement, uh, the, uh, the current uh, Secretary of uh, Energy, Rick Perry, mentioned that this was done to, to bolster um, America's energy security. So it seemed to be more of a focus to increase our energy um, supply. So that might be a little bit of worry, so it's something we'll keep an eye out on. Andre, anything else? Is there... Yeah, there are a few... Still I, in the agency space. Yeah, there's Sorry, few. listener. If you want to talk shutdown, you're going to have to wait. We're making you <laughs> wait for there. it. It's a tease. <laughs> there are a few other quick hits. So the National Science Foundation released their new uh, proposal and policy guide. Those new policy changes will be implemented at the end of the month. NIH released a statement, so they changed their policy or they revised their policy on diversity. Um, It's it's largely the same. One of the big changes is that it's now providing increased flexibility at institutions to justify who an underrepresented group is. So it's it's going from these are the only underrepresented groups, so African-Americans, Hispanics, et cetera, 
um, to, if you have an underrepresented group, make a case for why they're underrepresented. Uh, the last big one is that the NSF, NIH, and other agencies of the like have delayed their implementation of uh, their human subjects policy revision. It's largely because the community revolts it, which is great because when the community expresses the issue, the agency should uh, should change. But it's it's to allow the agencies as well as the institute uh, institutions and the community as a whole to one get get clear guidance, also uh, work to become compliant. So now, it's initially the date for um, the implementation of the new of the new human subjects policy was supposed to begin in January. It's now pushed to July. So you can expect to see a bunch of webinars, tons of things coming out on that. Great. Um, you know, and a lot of the things that I want to talk about are legislative and Congress has been singularly focused lately. Um, I will say um, I had an interesting conversation last week um, with staffer from Senator Rand Paul's office. Um, many of you may be aware Senator Paul has introduced a basic research act um, which has uh, some interesting components to it. I think the senator is well-intended in what he's desiring to do. The senator wants to ensure that research that's funded by the federal government um, is, is appropriate, uh, is for the national good. Um, you may be aware of Senator Paul taking the reins from Senator Coburn and issuing the waste report, which identifies uh, scientific research that the these members of Congress have determined are kind of the wrong things to do research on or have funny titles. Uh, I see smoke coming out of Andre's ears right now as I mention it. Um, the conversation I had with the senator's staff was actually really interesting. And, you know, I think, you know, it was the, whether it was viewed this way or not, I think the senator didn't want to be adversarial with the scientific community. Um, I think they're trying to find creative ways to change the behavior of scientists, to change the behavior of grant writers, to be a little bit more thoughtful in terms of how they market and how they explain what their science is. We can have a very deep debate about whether that's what scientists should be worried about, you know, how a politician reads the grant that they're applying for. Um, it was an interesting discussion. And I think um, I walked away from the discussion thinking that there was a, there was, there was more discussion to be had. They were open to suggestions, um, you know, changes to open access that they have proposed, changes to grant review processes to include a citizen advocate to a grant review process is controversial. I would argue not beneficial. Um, you know, there's some interesting stuff there. And, and I think maybe we'll explore it another time on another podcast. It's not exactly a moving piece of legislation right now. Um, they did hold a hearing on it last year, which is interesting, and I'm going to go back and kind of read through some of the transcript of that. But I just wanted to kind of let you all know that those sorts of things exist. These are the things that we're watching and paying attention to, and uh, we're going to continue to do so. So um, I want to thank you all. We are going to take a little break, and then we're going to shift gears and focus specifically on shutdown and shutdown impact on science. Once again, you are listening to Pipettes and Politics, and we will be right back. Like this, but want more? Why not visit the ASBMB Policy blog, where you'll see news and analysis on all things Washington. Visit www.policy.asbmb.org.
Welcome back to Pipettes and Politics. You've got Ben and Andre and hey. Daniel. Everyone say hi. Hey. Oh, hello. All right. We, uh, we spent a little time at the beginning uh, teasing, uh, talking about some kind of specific agency policy issues that are happening. Um, now it's time to talk about the elephant in the room, which is the three-day government shutdown that we just experienced uh, last week. Um, show of hands in the room. This is great podcast slash radio. People that believed there was going to be a shutdown on Friday. Andre, did you? No, I didn't. Daniel, did you? I thought there would be. Okay, I did not. I was very vocal on, on Twitter about how I did not think that would be the case. So, uh, Daniel wins the prize. I did guess. he really? He does. I mean, it was a weekend. It was right, so is it, I, I didn't <laughs> expect it to last this short. I, I was actually, you I thought that was going to be longer, yeah. yeah. No, well, that's true. So, let's uh, let's cover the dynamics real quick and just do a very short review here. Um Last week, we had a continuing resolution expire, which is uh, very common these days to be dealing with these tight windows. Um, so uh, we expected there to be some deal that would come out of the Senate that would keep the government open, another continuing resolution to fund things. Mixed into the batter now of appropriations and funding the government are other have become other policy issues. In this previous debate, it was CHIP, the Children's Health Insurance Program, it was DACA, Deferred Action for Children... Childhood Arrivals. Thank you, for Childhood Arrivals. Um, and then also mixed in there a little bit, too, was the CAPS, the um, Budget Control Act discretionary spending caps. Should we raise them? Should we raise them for defense only? Should we be, have parity between the two? That's what got mixed into what just happened with the, the government shutdown. Um, Democrats being in the minority party in the Senate... Uh, you know, the Senate needs a supermajority of 60 votes in order to advance uh, a, a, a piece of legislation to a vote. Republicans not having that many automatically needed to comp have some kind of compromise bill to get some Democratic support uh, or bipartisan bill that would get through the Senate and kind of keep government funding open. And that didn't happen. I think the Democrats made a calculation, which is to say uh, DACA and the immigration issue was the hill they were willing to die on. And so they spent Friday night shutting down the government, essentially, over the immigration issue. Um, <clears throat> rewinding a little bit before that, a week before then, this look, the president repealed DACA several months ago. ASBNB put out a position about supporting DACA, supporting a diverse scientific enterprise. You can go on our website, asbnb.org slash advocacy, to see our statement on that. It'll probably also be linked uh, here on this podcast. Um, president unilaterally made that decision and gave a March deadline for congressional action on DACA, doing something to either continue the program or legislate the program in a different way. Democrats have been pushing hard and have determined that this was going to be the moment that they had maximum leverage, where we could we can control this, people won't want to shut down the government. Um, a bipartisan group of senators met with the president about 10 days ago and the president said, you get me a bipartisan DACA deal, um, and I will sign it. And so senators like Senator Durbin from Illinois, Senator Graham from South Carolina got together, uh, Jeff Flake from Arizona, a couple of other people in the room got together and said, here is a bipartisan proposal on DACA, Mr. President, just like you asked, now sign it. And the president went off on his relatively infamous now asshole tangent and threw it away. So... This is where we are. So uh, Democrats tried to force DACA into the government spending bill. Republicans didn't want anything to do with that. And we ended up in having a government shutdown. 
Thankfully, the shutdown only lasted through the weekend into Monday. Uh, federal employees actually go into work on the first day of a shutdown because technically over the weekend, the government wasn't shut down. It was in a gap funding phase. And so the shutdown was begun. The process of shutting down the government began on Monday, but was stopped when uh, a deal was made. The deal is this. Uh, the government is now funded through February 8th, which is, I think, 16 days from the time that we are recording this. Senator McConnell, the Senate Majority Leader, has promised um, a vote on a DACA piece of legislation. Whether that is, um, I think the first shot is going to be to work with the White House to identify an acceptable immigration policy from the White House that can get through the Senate. If that doesn't happen, um, Senator McConnell has promised an open process by which whatever the Senate as a whole determines is the proper way to go will go forward. That is the commitment that the senator, uh, the senator from Kentucky has made to Democrats and to everybody. And uh, in exchange for that commitment, um, and in addition, they, uh, they gave a six-year extension to the Children's Health Insurance Program, and we funded the government. So uh, I guess the first question I'm going to throw out here is, has, have we uh, gotten away from government shutdown? Have we bought more time for an omnibus spending package and will the government not shut down on February 8th? Or are we kicking the can for the inevitable and we're going to be in the same spot uh, 16 days from now? Daniel, I ask you first. I definitely think this is kicking the can, kicking the can down the road. Um, I think now Democrats are in a really bad position because they've lost all their leverage and they don't want to lose again. So I'm not really sure what's going to happen. I, I think the DACA bill won't be voted on until after the 8th, right? So how will this help? I think the case? commitment is to bring a vote for DACA before in this intermediary in this, time. Let's hope so, because if they also need to get together a bipartisan agreement on the budget um, to not do another CR, I can't see that happening at all. So I, I foresee another shutdown battle in two weeks. So same thing in the next podcast. Short. I will short. have the same script. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think it's going to be a short shutdown or a long shutdown? I don't know. I think a, maybe like a four-day shutdown, I'm going to call it. Four days. It's very specific. Yes. Andre, very, very are we going to shut down on February 8th? No. Why not? I think Schumer, <clears throat> he wasted his one political... Uh, leverage, like his one bit of power that he had, he wasted it. And it's, it's. I think if they would have kicked it down to the 19th, which was, I think, the original date, and then had this issue, say, we want this DACA solved, and then shut the government down, it would have been a totally different situation. But the fact that he shut it down for the weekend, it was shut it down for the weekend and reopened it or voted to reopen it without any firm commitment from the House. It's kind of a, I fumbled this guy's, hand me the ball again, and nobody, I don't think, I don't think he has, I don't want to say he has enough fortitude <laughs> to, <laughs> to do it, to try his hand again, but I don't think, I don't think it'll be, I mean, it turned out that this was a bad political move for him, because he seemed like the guy who, I mean, there, there's reports that they said, House Democrats say he blinked. So they were playing a game of chicken, and Schumer blinked first, and... There are also reports that uh, Senator Schumer had cheeseburgers with the president, I guess on Saturday or Friday, I think on Friday, and left the White House with a deal with the president on funding, on CHIP, on DACA, 
got back to the Senate only to get a phone call from the White House that said, eh, we changed our mind. Of course. So, I, don't, I, so I mean, <laughs> I just I do want to be a little bit fair to Schumer? Chuck Schumer, who maybe he did have a deal and it got pulled got the rug pulled out from underneath him. I guess that's a possibility. Right. So keep the... I'm not I'm not advocating for shutting the government down. Okay. But if that's your move, if that's yeah, your political right. move... Shut it down stand, shut down. stand by your political move right. moving forward because once you blink a couple hours into the first work day, right. you lose all of your leveraging power. McConnell looks like he was this great deal maker and he made no deal. He just said, we'll, <laughs> we'll debate the DACA issue and we'll yeah. bring the immigration issue up. Yeah. As long as you don't shut the government down in February. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that I have a fear. I think I think we're staring at a shutdown on February 8th. Um, and I think it's going to be a long one. I don't think mm. it's going to be a short one. Um, and the reason why is to, a lot of what you're talking about, Daniel, is Democrats feel the sting of having shut down the government and not really getting very much in return for it. And they were willing to shut down the government over the immigration issue. So I think they're willing to shut it down again. Except this time if they shut it down, they need to get something. You know, they can't shut it down for nothing. They need to get something in return for it. And the House is not willing to make this move. Uh, the House does not have an appetite for the same, um, for a more moderate approach to immigration policy. The, the House has a more conservative approach. And I think the White House does too. And so we're dealing with, you know, my guess is is that we're looking at a long shutdown. I had dinner last night with, uh, actually it was a, a table of lobbyists, because that's what lobbyists do. We have fancy dinners and we talk amongst each other ourselves. And the, the discussion that we had was um, some people around the table believed this is going, we're going, there's going to be a shutdown on the 8th and it's going to be the longest shutdown that we've ever had, longer than hmm. the 95 shutdown. Um, others said um, we can avoid a shutdown, but the Democrats need to re-message it, that the immigration issue is not the message that's going to win right. in a shutdown debate. And that they realized that early on, that they were losing the messaging battle over the weekend um, the government shut down until so they pulled back and they're going to need to remessage they're going to need to rebrand in a couple of days um, others thought you know like like Andre does that you know the government's not going to shut down um, b- before going into uh, the politics of it are interesting and the gamesmanship I guess is fun yeah um, if you think it's fun <laughs> um, there's a serious impact there's an actual impact on all of this there's an impact to science so um, let's talk a little bit about, about what that is uh, one thing that we know that happens is experiments stop. Experiments don't happen, right? Like experiments that you had planned for the week don't get out, don't get done. You mm. don't get those results. Experiments have federal, federal That's, run. I'm sorry, yes. Organizations, intramural, intramural, federal, federal lab, federal run labs. Those close down. Yeah. <clears throat> so Unfortunately, they also plan. So you know, because the government shut down on Friday or, or, or this weekend. People then started to plan to not come into work for a long time, so they had to restructure their experiments so that it wouldn't get impeded. But by doing so, they lost a lot of time because now they actually can come back today, but then they have to kind of restart all their experiments. So. And so we lost, there was a productivity loss to be right. sure. Yeah. That, that's there. Um, the other thing is, and we didn't run into it this time, but um, I, we did run into it with the last shutdown, and if we were to have another shutdown that lasts any amount of time, Grant reviews. Grant mm-hmm. you know, study sections can be canceled and are canceled when we're in a government shutdown phase. So there are Which, actually four study sections that were canceled just because there was a shutdown on Monday. Oh, great. So there was um, four study sections scheduled for Monday and Tuesday that had to be 
canceled, so nobody could come, but all the plane tickets were bought, the rooms were already booked, so that money all went to waste. So it's about $100,000 that, because of just this one day, you know, the government just lost. And generally, if somebody's on travel, if a government official's on travel during the shutdown, they have to come back and end their travel. So, yeah, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of stupid money that has to go to waste. It's just silly. Yeah, so it's hard. So study sections are impacted. Um, You know, things that at the NIH that that are NIH-specific and special, things like the clinical center, Mm -hmm. um, new patients are not onboarded unless unless the director himself deems it medically necessary to bring the patient in for for treatment. So, you know, there are... um, <clears throat> there are lots of sick people who are looking to start clinical trials at the clinical center in Bethesda who are, are nervous about whether they're going to start, you know, they were anxious and excited to maybe be starting an experimental treatment that might save their life, and now they're nervous that politicians might end up impacting that. Right. There's also kind of the unspoken thing, contractors, you know, people who are not federal employees. Uh, federal employees, um, historically, when there has been a shutdown... Like your back pain. They get back pay. It, Congress has to take action to do that, right. but typically Congress has has done that, and and lots of their uh, lots of uh, avenues to help. You know, federal credit unions have a tendency to give like zero percent zero percent interest loans to federal employees to cover the, their pay during mm-hmm. the back pay period. Like people try to help out, but that's an issue. Contractors though don't necessarily get back pay. Contractors are billable hours, and if they don't right. have billable hours, they don't have billable hours, and so that happens. Support staff, uh, janitorial staff, mm-hmm. you know, people that run the cafe at Building Thirty One. You know, these are places that you know, these are people that have absolutely nothing to do with any of this, but their livelihood is based on kind of an operating federal government that are impacted by it. Right. So, uh, I think what we're you know. Science is, you know, I, I talked with a couple of reporters yesterday, and <clears throat> infrastructure improvements are really important. It's important to do rebuild roads. When you don't have funding for a road project, you can put cones up. It creates traffic, but it doesn't, the road, you know, you can, you can avoid it. You can mitigate the damage. Um, scientific experiments, you know, you lose reagents. You lose kind of the next step in the thing. If, uh, if it goes long enough, what, I mean, what's the... What's the life cycle of a fruit fly, you know, that you're conducting your experiments on? It's two weeks, I think. Yeah, short, very short. You spray fruit flies in grad school. Yeah, so, I mean, what, you know, what happens if you're, you know, you're shut down and you're not able to do experiments on, you know, this particular generation of flies that you were going to do? Like, there are these impacts to science that, not to say that this is the critical issue of a shutdown or, you know, more important than... Uh, families being, you know, being broken apart or immigration issues. These are all important and whatever, but uh, there are these specific needy things, the unique things to the scientific enterprise, to stopping experiments, to breaking progress. Um, science as a whole, you guys can like, it doesn't do well in an uncertain budgetary environment. It likes productivity, or uh, predictability yeah. and sustainability. Like, those are things that it likes. And, and even if there's going to be a budget cut, we can we can mitigate a cut if we know it's coming and can prepare for it. But when there's a sudden like just stops of everything, it's difficult, right? Yeah. And this is kind of the epitome of why a continuing resolution is terrible for govern or for science research. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a great look. The NIH already in acting in a continuing resolution. The NIH is already dealing with working with one hand tied behind their back. They've already cut ten percent of funding mm-hmm. from all of their grants. And or because they don't know what their level of funding is going to be for FY eighteen, even though we are 
almost four months into <laughs> FY18 now. Um, you know, so funding decisions are impacted. There, are, this is not the way to operate. The world, you know, for the NIH, the global, you know, the world's largest investor in biomedical research, and or for the American Scientific Enterprise, which is really a global leader in innovation. Um, this is a really stupid way to operate. <laughs> That's really important yeah. piece of the country. It's starting to be just the normal way of the government working. And we're hopeful that's not going to be the case. Yeah. You know, so we're going to be we're monitoring this. We're going to be working, um, making explanations on why um, why we need to be doing more and why we need to take uh, why Congress needs to make sure we avoid this. We need to raise the caps to allow for appropriate investments. You know, that's the work that uh, NDD United has been doing for years in order to kind of find bipartisan budget deals that raises the caps that keeps domestic. Uh, you know, defense and non-defense spending. That's equal. the NDD part, the non-defense. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Keeping that going, you know, we need to keep doing that. We need to get a full-year plan for funding. We need not another CR. Um, and we need to kind of keep things operating and maybe one day get to that mythical regular order so that appropriations <laughs> happen. Because right. we've moved from requesting robust funding to just fund us. Just give us money. Just give us a dollar. Keep the lights on, yeah. So uh, stick with us. Keep uh, keep an eye on the podcast. Keep an eye on our blog, policy.asbnb.org. Uh, you know, communicate with us. Hashtag pipettes and politics on Twitter. Um, we're going to take a little break here, and we're going to close things out in just a minute. This is again pipettes and politics, and we will be right back. This is Angela Hopp, Communications Director for the ASBNB. I'd like to invite you to join us in San Diego in April for the Society's Annual Research Conference. The ASBNB Annual Meeting offers presentation opportunities for researchers at all career stages, compelling scientific symposia, and fun networking and professional development events. Visit ASBNB.org for more information about the meeting. Welcome back to Pipettes in Politics. Thank you for sticking with us for this episode. Uh, before we end the day, ASBNB is excited. We've got a couple of programs that we want to announce and let you all know what's happening on our calendar in the next couple of weeks. So, Andre, webinar that you want to talk about. So, on February 8th, we have the Cancer Moonshot Initiative Role of the Basic Researcher. It's going to be a webinar um, presented, or the presenter for our webinar is going to be Dr. Dinah Singer. She's the acting deputy director for the National Cancer Institute. She's going to kind of give an overview of where what the Cancer Moonshot Initiative is and how a basic researcher who may not be sure where they fit in that initiative can fit in. So what funding opportunities exist, um, what type of research they can uh, potentially conduct. And where do you sign up for that? You sign up for that on ASBNB's website. ASBNB.org. ASBNB.org. There's also, you can go to policy.asbnb.org and go to our webinars tab. There's a registration link there as well. Great. Daniel. So we do have another webinar coming up um, focused on how to write a good op-ed. And this webinar will be hosted by, um, well, we'll have Trisha Sirio on the webinar. Um, she is a member of the Political a Public Affairs Advocacy Committee, um, and she is from UMass Amherst and is the professor and dean of the College of Natural Sciences there. So uh, the date will be confirmed soon and look out for that 
um, in the next few days. So it should be happening in February, mid-February. And then I'm excited. Uh, ASBNB is partnering with the American Chemical Society. We're holding a briefing on February 1st where we're going to be talking about the NSF, uh, the National Science Foundation's impact on the genetics revolution. This is going to be on Capitol Hill. We're going to be doing this for congressional staffers and political types. Uh, Dr. Jennifer Doudna, the, really the Ms. CRISPR, um, you know, is going to be coming into town and talking with policymakers about the impact that CRISPR has, um, as well as some other scientists talking about how NSF funding goes a long way towards supporting these sorts of things. Um, really, the thread that we want to bring home is NIH funding is important and has been really robustly supported by Congress, and we appreciate that. But if you're going to support the NIH because of the life-saving potential that it has, there are other agencies and other departments that do research that has an impact there, too. So uh, if you're interested for some of the details on that, head to policy.asbnb.org. Um, that's all that we have for today. I want to thank you for listening. Um, Andre, anything? No, that's all. Daniel? See you next in two weeks when we talk about the shutdown again. Great. We're going <laughs> to be going back to our every two-week schedule now that we've gotten through the holidays. So I want to thank you for listening to Pipe Action Politics, and we will talk to you in a couple of weeks. Take care.